Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Last week we were, uh, we've been rather, uh, over the last uh, five weeks in the book of Matthew and we've been looking at this uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, and, and it's called the Beatitudes and so if you've ever read it, it's in Matthew chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, just open them up there and just kind of mark it there for a minute. I'll quickly recap. Last week we talked about Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 5. How many of you remember Matthew 5 and 5? I know you got your Bible open, so it's right in front of you. Anybody want to shout it out for me? Matthew 5 and 5 says what? Blessed are the meek. Some translations are different, for they will inherit the earth. Amen. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we learned several things about the meek. A a person that is meek is a person that has self-control. Amen. They're disciplined in the things of God. They're not undisciplined in their actions, but they're meek. They they walk in humility. They walk in a in a way that is that is that is humble. They walk in a way that is that is not haughty or 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 self-righteous in any way, but but they're an individual that that has the characteristics of God, and, but they can show humility. Amen. How many of you remember that verse in, in Philippians chapter 2? It says, Jesus even humbled himself to death on a cross. He was a son of God. He didn't have to humble himself, but yet he did. Amen. And as sons and daughters of God, we might think that, you know what? Hey, we've arrived and and we're good and everything's awesome in our life. But hey, listen, we have to live a quiet life in this world. Amen. We have to live a a life that shows humility. Amen. Because everything that you are to represent is to represent him well. If Jesus was humble, how much more humble should we be? If Jesus was willing to give his life for you and me, how much more should we be willing to lay our lives down to serve and to love others in this world? Amen. And so we, we, we are a people that understand what the word is teaching us. It teaches us to live a disciplined life. We learned that that, that word meek, it, it means power under control. As the children of God, we have the greatest access to the power of heaven. Amen. Through the Holy Spirit, we have great access to great power and great authority. But guess what? The, even the, the disciples, they, they had asked Jesus. There was some people that had ran them out of the city and ran them out of town. And they asked Jesus, can't we just like send down fire from heaven? Can't we just rain down fire from heaven to destroy him, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Power under control, guys. We're not just going to be praying that, you know, you know that, that God would send lightning bolts upon the cities of the world because, you know, maybe they differ from us or they disagree with, with things that, that, you know, we agree with and, and so on and so forth. So forth. Power under control. Jesus operated in power every single day of his life. But Jesus was never reckless in the way that he used his power. I illustrated it to you last week. If you've ever, you know, driven a car that has a big engine or it's very powerful, if you're not, you know, you don't know how to drive a car like that, a race car, you know, type car, you could easily get yourself into trouble. You could easily misuse the power and hurt yourself or somebody else. So power under control is it living a disciplined life because you are submissive to the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul said, I don't run like a man that's running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man that's beating the air, but I beat my body and I make it slave so that after I have preached to others, here comes the self-control part. He said, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. Amen. We need to live a meek life. If the Lord is Lord of your life, then give him control over your attitude, your actions, and your behavior. Amen. That was a good time to say amen. I said, if he's Lord over your life, some people say, oh, well, he's just Lord over my salvation because he's my, he's my train ticket to heaven. No, 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 no. He has to be Lord over your life for you to get to heaven. 
You ever read those scriptures like in Colossians chapter 3 when it says idolaters and swindlers and the sexual, sexually immoral, you know, and all these different types of people. They're not going to inherit heaven. And guess what? Every single one of us was one type of those people. Maybe multiple types of those people. And we have to ask ourselves and say, well, then how is it that we're going to get to heaven? We only get to heaven through submission and surrender to the Lord. Let him be Lord of your life. We learned that that person that is meek is a person who is humble and not prideful. Pride, we learned, is God repellent. You want to keep God out of your life? Think that you've got it all figured out. You want to keep God in resistance to your life? Then act in such a way where you think that you are self-righteous and you are self-justified. We gave that illustration in Luke chapter 11. And we talked about those, those two individuals that went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee walked up into the temple. This is the temple. Comes to the temple, he walks into the temple, and he begins to pray. He said, oh, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector over there. His prayer became about his self-righteousness and how he thought within himself he was so good. But the Bible says that that tax collector... He beat his chest and he, he cried out to God. He said, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. When was the last time that we got back in touch with the fact, church, that like Ezekiel said, we were like a stick that was snatched out of the fire? When was the last time that we got in touch with that to realize that the only reason you have life and breath in your lungs is by the very mercy and grace of this God that you call Lord? Amen. Amen. Somebody say amen tonight. The only reason you have a heartbeat in your chest right now is because he loves you so much to allow you to remain in this earth. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here. Amen. So we cannot walk in this world with a haughty or prideful attitude in anything. Philippians chapter 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. You're not doing it to to gain anything. You're not doing it because you you think that you're all that vain conceit. It says, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Why is that posture important? Because you cannot serve somebody that you lord over. You see, here's the deal. Jesus, even himself, was willing to sit at his disciples and wash their feet. Unless you first become a servant of God and surrender and live a life of surrender, you can't walk around with authority because you're not ready to handle it. You're not ready to handle it. And if you think that all of a sudden, you know what, you've been given a position, you got some title in the church. Therefore, you can walk around recklessly. No, 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 my friends. A life of humility is so important. And the third thing that we learned, that meekness is an individual who is gentle and not easily provoked. Social media does a lot of provoking these days. Amen. Social media, you read something, and all of a sudden you're fired up. Hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you get, you get angry, you get upset because how dare that person say this and that and blah, 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 blah. The meek are always in control. The meek are not moved and pushed and, 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 and swayed by the things that they read or hear or the things that, they're, that they're, is, is going on around them. The Bible says, and it talks about being soldiers in the army of the Lord, and it talks about that scripture. It says this, it says that they don't get involved in civilian affairs. You see, if your concern is to be in the army of the Lord and to serve this one that is leading you, then guess what? There's a, there's a time and a place that, that you're going to deal with certain things in this world. But, you, but if you are truly a soldier in the army of the Lord, then those civilian affairs, those things that are going on around you as a distraction from the enemy, you don't pay any attention to those. 
I love where David, you know, in the book of 1 Samuel talks about how David, you know, he's there and he approaches the battle lines and he's there amongst all the soldiers and there's 100,000 Israelites on a hillside and there's Goliath standing in front of him. And David, he walks up to this battle line and he encounters his older brother Eliab. And Eliab begins to accuse him of having a haughty spirit. You see, people are going to tell you a lot of things about your life in this world, but David did the most important thing. Some translations read like this, that after Eliab had accused him of having a prideful spirit, the Bible says that he turned away and he focused on the more important matter. The more important matter was that there was a giant that was threatening their nation. He didn't waste time, you know, getting involved in a spat with his brother. But he turned away and he said, what is the more important matter at hand? There is a giant that is controlling our nation. There is a giant that has a whole wall of men stricken with fear. It's important for us, church, to not be easily provoked. Had David been provoked in that moment, he could have completely missed the assignment that was in front of him. Don't miss your assignment just because there's a fox that's nibbling at your heels. Don't miss your assignment just because there's, there's, there's people that are accusing and saying and, and doing and, 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 you know, all this kind of wish-wash stuff that happens all around us. The enemy's swirling all around us, striking the water and doing all kinds of things to cause a reaction from your life. I love uh, this quote that says this, that Jesus didn't live in reaction to the devil, but he lived in response to the Father. What is the devil doing now that is trying to rile up a reaction within you? You see, the meek are always under the submission and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's move into tonight's message. For the next few moments, I'm going to be talking about being hungry. Amen. I hope that nobody really is. Are you hungry tonight? Amen. Hungry for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hungry for Jesus. Amen. Because I have no food. I didn't bring nothing. So I'm not going to, you know, come up here and multiply food for you. You have to wait till after service. Amen. A spiritual hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is a hunger to be in his presence and to feast at his table. How many of you are hungry for the Lord tonight? I want us to pray for the word tonight. Lord, we bless your name. And Holy Spirit, we just ask right now in this moment, Lord, that you would just settle, descend upon this room, upon every single heart, Lord, tonight. And Holy Spirit, speak to us. May these pages of life, Lord, just speak loudly to our hearts and to our our minds, our, our ears, Lord, tonight. That we would receive the truth, Lord, that you have for us, Lord, concerning your word, Lord. We love you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, use me as your vessel tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I pray that your appetite for the kingdom would grow. I pray that your appetite for the ways and the things of God would grow immeasurably day to day. Amen. That it wouldn't be something that is fading away. There's something that is, that is kind of falling or, or dwindling out as you get older in the Lord and as you mature in the Lord. But I pray that your appetite for the things of God and for the Lord himself would continue to grow on a daily basis. My prayer for you, church, is that your thirst and the only thing that your soul would desire is the living water that only Jesus can provide for your life. Let's read this verse in Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want you to read it with me tonight, church. Everybody say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, only those that are seeking and are hungry for God's righteousness will be filled. It's not you can seek after other stuff. You can seek after things that you want. You can seek after things in the world and you're still going to get filled. No, 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 no. Because we'll talk about what the infilling is in a moment. But it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. This is a promise of the Lord. 
That as you yearn for God, as the Bible says in, in Psalm, I believe it's chapter 42, it says, as a deer pants for streams of living water. That kind of desire, that kind of hunger, that kind of want to be in the presence of God, that kind of you know, thirst to, to, to see God face to face, to, to hold God, to, to feel the, the presence of God, to hear from God. That kind of thirst as if though you were an animal in the desert is what the scripture is saying. It's the kind of way that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness. Not just for the presence. Not just for a nice song. Not just for church attendance, but for righteousness. I want us to closer define this. To hunger and thirst means to have a starving spirit. It is a real hunger and a starvation of the soul. It is a parched and dying thirst. It is a starving spirit and a parched soul that craves after righteousness and the righteous one. That craves after righteousness and the righteous one. But there's something more. Righteousness, church, means all righteousness. Not partial righteousness, not, not a tidbit or, or fractions of righteousness. It means all righteousness. The true believer is starved and parched for all righteousness. How many of you know that many people take from the Bible only what they want? Amen. There's a lot of people, they open the pages of the Bible and all of a sudden you read something out of Ezekiel and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's get to the blessing stuff. You know, God forbid you go to the book of Lamentations chapter 3 and you read, you know, about the despair and the woes and all the stuff. Or you read through Job and you read some, some interesting things and you, you could go throughout all the different books of the Bible. But here's the deal. We don't have the right to pick and choose from the word what we want. It's all or nothing. A lot of people desire to hear the blessings and hear and, you know, want to know and, and feel and receive the healings of God, the comfort of God, the peace, the joy, the love of God. But what about the other parts of righteousness? Because see, those are all parts of God. Those are all parts of the kingdom. But what about the other parts? What about holiness? What about holiness? What about correction? What about rebuke, obedience, purity, consecration? We sang a song right now, you know, Jesus just isn't the lamb. Jesus isn't just the lamb, he's the lion too. Amen. A lamb's beautiful and gentle and sweet. You want to pet him, they're so fuzzy. A lion, on the other hand, a lion looks at us as dinner. These are all aspects of this great God that we serve. Amen. He's not just blessing and, and joy and love and peace, but he's holy. He's pure. He demands that we consecrate ourselves before him. Amen. Jesus isn't just a lover of your soul. He's also a righteous ruler and judge. Amen. So we have to ask this question. What happens to a believer when they don't care for these things? When they don't care for righteousness as a whole. What happens to a believer when they don't care for those things? It's, ex it's as exactly as the scripture has already told us. They won't be filled. They will be living this seesaw Christian life that's always up and down. But it's always lacking something. They attend a million church services their whole life. They listen to pastors preach and open the word and, you know, share funny stories and, and all kinds of stuff. But it has no lasting and filling effect in their life because they're only choosing what they want from it instead of receiving all of it. Another translation uses the word satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. See, to hunger and thirst for righteousness means all of it, and not just the portions and the pieces that we want. And this is so significant, church. It's so important because it means that the promise of a filled life is conditional. 
I'll say that one more time. It means that the promise of a life that is satisfied in God and filled by the Lord is conditional. It's dependent on your appetite. It's dependent on how bad you want him. It's dependent on how much you want to seek after him. You remember that scripture that the Bible says that Jesus, he wept over the city of Jerusalem and he said, oh, how I long to gather you like a hen would gather her chicks. Why was Jesus saying that? He was saying that because they had an opportunity. Jerusalem had an opportunity to turn to him. They had every opportunity, but yet they denied him. Just like today, every single day, you and I have woken up with the same opportunity to love him, to respond to him, to be obedient to him, to follow him, to listen to his word, to hunger after him, to desire him more and more and more. But is he weeping over our life? Is he weeping over and saying, oh, how I long to fill your life. I see the hurt you're going through. I see the, the desolation in your spirit. I see the parchedness of your life. And oh, how I long to fill your life. But if you would only hunger after me. If you would only thirst for me. The word of God, church, is never something that we just take and say, you know what, well, I'm going to take from it that, you know, what, 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 what sounds good to me, what feels good to me. No, you conform your life. The scripture says that we adhere ourselves to the word. We bind ourselves to the things that God has said and desires and requires of us conditionally so that we ourselves can know him and know him greater every single day. We never conform the word to our lifestyle. Amen. Do you desire to be filled by God? Amen. I think I asked you that already, but raise your hand. I just want to see it one more time. How many of you desire to be filled by the Lord? Amen. How many of you desire an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life? Amen. Amen. More than just a raised hand. Amen. I said, how many of you desire an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Then we need to find out tonight who's going to get filled. Number one, the righteous, the person rather that hungers to be and to live righteously. This person will be filled. I'll say it one more time. The person that hungers to be and to live righteously. To be and to live righteously. To, to do righteous acts is not enough. Do you know that almost every single day we do some form of a righteous act? You know, we, we pray or, or we help somebody or, or we serve somebody else. And the Bible says, church, though, that we are purely saved by grace and not by our works. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, Expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ, it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Amen. And it says, and this is not from yourselves. All right. So we got to take ourselves out of the equation just for a second. It's not by yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, to be righteous is not enough. James chapter 2 verse 17 says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. But somebody will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. James chapter 2 verse 20, just a little bit, uh, a little bit further, it says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? It says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God 
and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. My point is this, is that both are essential and both are necessary in order to be blessed. Amen. Because by faith, I have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. By faith, you have a relationship with God. And I pray and I read the word and I meditate on his word. And I trust that the blood of Jesus will cover my sins and purify us from unrighteousness. And I worship and so on. Amen. But all of the things that I mentioned benefit me and strengthen me in the Lord. But at some point, my faith must be met with action. My faith must be met with action. Some of us are great at being righteous by the strength of God. Never hear a bad word come out of your mouth. Always thanking God. Live a lifestyle of worship and prayer to God. You know the word front and back. And, and you simply can walk by somebody that needs Jesus. See, one aspect of what I said reveals all the faith in the world. But the other aspect is missing the action. And there's others that can't live a righteous life if they tried, but yet they tell everybody about Jesus. <laughs> had a friend in, in school, and shortly after I had got saved, this young lady that, that you know, was, was uh, unfortunately known for some uh, bad things that she would do, and, and, and she was the loudest preacher in the, like, in the entire school. And I remember one time I, 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 I had a conversation with her and I said, hey, listen, you know, like at some point it needs to add up. You can't live the lifestyle the way that you want, but yet be the loudest preacher in the world. And vice versa, you can't live a holy and consecrated life and say nothing. Amen. They have to add up. They have to come to the sum of, of, of equaling together so that your life can be complete and righteous in him. Amen. Those that don't live for Jesus righteously don't represent God well at all. That's the fact. Amen. And those that do represent God well should never forget that it's not about themselves. It's always about serving others. Amen. Are you following me tonight? So church, we need to make this connection. It's important. In order to be blessed, we must do and be righteousness to everyone that we come across. You see, a sad reality is this, is that many want just bits and pieces of righteousness, like I mentioned. Just enough to make them comfortable. Just enough to make them feel like, you know what, I'm good. You see, we could make church audibly and physically and visually comforting like a lot of churches tend to focus on these days. But listen, that won't keep or get you saved. But trusting in his word and his Holy Spirit will keep you saved. Amen. Living out the righteous life will keep you in, in good standing with the Lord. And so what Christ is saying is this, or rather, I don't want to skip to that. But a person is, is, is we have to ask ourselves this question, and that is this, is are we truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness? It's really important to ask yourself this question. Are you truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness? That is to live like Jesus. That's to walk like Jesus, to talk like Jesus. To watch every conversation that you have, every thought that comes across your mind. Are you hungering to live this way? And the question that each person needs to ask is this, is how much am I seeking after righteousness? How much are we seeking after righteousness? Are we seeking at all? Are we seeking a little? Are we seeking some? Or are we seeking a lot? Christ in his word, he says this, a person has to crave and starve and thirst for righteousness. A person must seek righteousness more and more if they wish to be saved and filled. Mark Batterson, uh, he's, he's a Christian author. He said this, if you aren't hungry for God, you're full of yourself. When are you hungry? When you're empty, Right? You're hungry when you're empty. You're not, you're not hungry when you're full. Unless it's like Thanksgiving, right? You know, like that's probably the only day that you should do that. You eat that 12 o'clock turkey, right? You know, and, you're, and you're, you've, 
you've stuffed all that stuff in your, in your life, and then you take a little nap, and then it's like 3 o'clock, it's like, hey, anybody want some turkey? It's like, man, you don't have to even process the first part that we ate. But he said, if you aren't hungry for God, you're full of yourself. That's why God cannot fill you with his spirit. But if you would empty yourself and if you would die to yourself, you'll be a different person by the time you reach the last page of the Bible. Amen. You'll be a completely different person by the last page of the Bible because guess what? You have died to yourself and now you're able to be filled with the Lord. Now you're able to be filled with the righteousness of God. We need to get something clear. We seek righteousness, but where is righteousness found? It's only found in Jesus. Amen. It's only found in Jesus. And in order to attain this righteousness, then you and I need to be seeking Christ. Amen. Not seeking church, not seeking, you know, a personal Bible study, not, you know, just, you know, things that we can do on our own, but seeking the person of Jesus. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It does not say outside of him or apart from him. It says in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 1 and 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Guess what? You're not going to find the righteousness of God in the news. Amen. I'll give this side a chance to respond. You're not going to find righteousness in the news. I'm sorry. You're not going to find righteousness on social media. You're not going to find it in the, in the fabric of the chairs that you're sitting on. Righteousness comes from where? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. How many of you get hungry for something that you don't have? Raise your hands. What do I mean by that? I mean like you desire things that, you know, you don't possess, right? We all do that. We all, we all see a commercial and you know, commercials are of the devil. You know, if you're up late at night, I tell you, commercials are of the devil, man. You'd be up late at night and you see this thing that all of a sudden you really need. Right? You see this fancy chopper thing and you're like, oh, I've, I've been cutting my fingers all these years and I could have had that thing. Right? I know you bought it. If I go to your house, I'll find it in the cabinet. I guarantee it. Don't lie in the house of God. I got one too. <laughs> but you get hungry for things that you don't really need. You get hungry for, for stuff that you don't have. And there's been times when my wife and I, you know, we'll go to the grocery store. And, and you know, the worst thing you can do is go to the grocery store when you're hungry. Anybody ever done that one? Oh, man. All of a sudden, you overspend. Because, oh, <laughs> need that one. And, oh, oh that looks tasty. Yeah, I'm going to get that one. And, and you just go down the aisles, and you're just, you know, skipping through there, you know. And you're just grabbing everything that you want because it looks delicious and tasty. And a few hundred dollars later, you've got all these snacks and munchies and stuff that you don't even need. And guess what? It's not even filling for your nutrition and for your life. What's my point? Sometimes you and I hunger for material things. Sometimes we hunger for carnal things. Sometimes we hunger for lustful things. Sometimes we hunger for selfish things. And then we get them and guess what? They always leave you unsatisfied. Every time. Every time. You're that kid, you got that video game that you wanted and you played it like five times and then that's it. Collecting dust. You get things in life and you get them and all of a sudden you, be, you think that that's the thing that you needed. That's what's really going to make you happy. You know, your, your, your husbands and wives, they, they ask you, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? And, and you get this thing in mind and you think that, oh man, that's going to be awesome. And guess what? It's awesome for a moment. It's awesome for a minute. It's awesome for a day. Listen, some of you are hungering for, for lasting, good, godly relationships. But listen, you settle for whoever comes along. And guess what? That relationship doesn't satisfy. Are you following me tonight? Some of you hunger for healing, both physical, emotional. But you seek temporary opiates and solutions from drugs to alcohol, medication, self-help books, pornography. And guess what? None of it satisfies. Others hunger for good finances, but when they get a better paying job or they get a raise, they're not content because they spend more and they give less. And guess what? They're still not satisfied. 
They're still not satisfied. You say, oh, well, I got to make more. I got to make more. I got to start another business. I got to do this. And you're still not satisfied. Because listen to me, church, your flesh will never be satisfied with the things of the spirit. Only your soul can be satisfied. And your soul is the very thing that God is wanting you to focus on and pay attention to. Because that is the very thing that is inheriting heaven one day. And if you're not hungering and thirsting for the things of God and desiring what he wants, everything else will not satisfy. If we would just hunger and thirst for Jesus, he would fill those spaces in your life up because his presence is all we need, church. His righteousness, his person, his character is the best remedy for anything that you could ever desire in this world. It's impossible, though, to truly seek after God and fail to discover him. It's impossible to truly seek after God and fail to discover him. He will be found by you, church, if you diligently seek after him. Psalm 34 and 10 says, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord like no good thing. Psalm 53 verse 2 says, God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand and any who seek God. He's looking, he's seeing, he's wanting to know, is anybody seeking me? Is anybody desiring me? Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, so seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. It says, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon your life. See, the hunger and the thirst that God desires that that we seek him with, it comes with a great promise, church. It comes with a great reward. And I told you I would talk to you about this in in that portion of Scripture that says that they would be filled. I I, I don't have enough time to read every verse, but they will be filled means this. It means, according to Romans 15, 14, that he is full of goodness. It's what the Scripture says. He is full of goodness and he's filled with all knowledge. You can write that verse down if you want. Romans 15, 14. This is part of the infilling that God promises you when you hunger and you thirst after him. He's full of goodness and he's filled with all knowledge. Ephesians 3.19 says this, that he is filled with all the fullness of God. This is an individual that has sought after the Lord, that is seeking God diligently every day. It says he is filled with the fullness of God. It goes on to say that, that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, that they are filled with the Spirit. How many of you want to be filled with the Spirit of God? Amen. That the decisions that you make wouldn't be your own because guess what? We get ourselves into a lot of trouble without God. But that we would be led by the Spirit because he said, the sons and daughters of God are those that what? That are led by the Spirit of God. They're led by the Spirit of God. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled with the Spirit. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, according to Philippians 1 and 11. You will be filled with the knowledge of, uh, knowledge of God's will, in, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. He will fill you with joy and with the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 13, verse 52. What is the point? When you hunger and thirst after God, God is not a man that he should lie. He will absolutely fill you with every good thing that he has promised your life, church. He will not withhold anything from your life. But if we have not, maybe we're seeking not. If we have not, if we're missing something, if something isn't adding up according to what the scripture says, maybe we have failed to seek after him. Maybe we have failed to thirst after the Lord. You see, we could be, you know, better church attendees and this and that. But listen, we have to understand, church, we have to understand this, that it is so important for us to take what we're learning to take what he's working in us outside. This world is dying. And a righteous savior that I know to be Lord 
would go out of his way to save one every time. And the more that you hunger and thirst after his righteousness, the more that his heart beats in yours. The more that his mind and the way that he sees people, the way that he loves people, the way that he's compassionate, the way that he's grace-filled, that will flow from your life. It will flow out of your life. The prophet gives us instruction in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. He says this, sow righteousness for yourselves. That means we have a responsibility. Sow in righteousness. He says, sow in righteousness for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground. That is the ground that's, that's hard, that may be dense. It could be areas of your life and your heart. It says, break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and he showers his righteousness on you. Amos chapter 8 and verse 11 says this, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Wow. I believe, church, that we're living in such a season. Say, why did... Why would God send a famine of hearing the word of the Lord? What, is, what does that have to do with anything? Why would God send a famine in this land to, to, to somehow cause us to, to not desire to hear his voice or to hear from him? It's so that he can notice, church, those who are genuinely seeking after him. Something happens when the Lord draws away, people will either stay where they were or some people will say, hang on a second. I know he's around here somewhere. I just need to pray a little bit more. I just need to worship just a little bit longer. I need to just thumb through the pages of his word just a little bit more because I know he's here. His promise was that he would never leave us or forsake us. He would never abandon us as orphans. And so I have to seek after him now in this season when it seems as though he's pulled away. Right now there is a great famine in our land and it is one of this, is of exactly what the scripture is saying. It's not a famine of food or a thirst of water, but it's a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. I'll say this because I can say this. It's actually beautiful that there's so many people that are here tonight. I applaud you first and foremost, and I say thank you for joining us tonight. I really do. But I can go back just a few years ago in my mind and remember when it was three, four times this big. And people had jobs 20 years ago. People had jobs 15 years ago. Kids still went to school. School time hasn't changed. They don't go to school at 6 a.m. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do they go to school at 6 a.m.? Just, I don't believe they do. You say, well, what happened, Pastor? How come less people show up on Wednesday? It's because they're not seeking. The hunger died out a little bit. Because complacency sets in and complacency will fill you, but you will never be satisfied. Complacency keeps you in a spot where you think you're good and everything's okay and all that kind of stuff, but you're not truly seeking after God. You might say, well, Pastor Duke, that's unfair. People have jobs, people have school, but yeah, they used to come. What changed? The hunger. Amen. Somebody say amen. The hunger changed. School's going to be here till we get to heaven. Jobs are always going to be here until we get to heaven. 
I was a tennis player in my days in high school for years. Every day I'd spend three and a half hours on a tennis court from 2 o'clock to 5.30. All sweaty and nasty and, you know, in this nice South Texas heat that we have. My mom would pick me up at 5.30. She'd rush me home. I lived, my school was right here down the road on Nolana. I went to PHA North High School. And she had to run me to the other side of far so that I could go home, change my clothes, and take a shower so that I could get to church on time so that I could praise the Lord. That's what hunger looks like. It looks like there's no excuse that is suitable for you missing an appointment with God. Amen. It looks like there's nothing that could get in your way, not family, not parties, not gatherings, not, not stuff that you got to do. Listen, I know that maybe somebody in here has got to do homework. Praise God, you're going to get it done. Now, don't set yourself up to fail. Don't miss, don't miss church just because church is the last time that you have to do your homework when you should have done it three days ago. Can somebody say amen? Don't set yourself up to fail. But listen, the hunger and the thirst in people's lives, it changed. And so what is the Lord wanting from us? What is the Lord desiring from us? He notices those who are seeking after him. Why? Because though no water seems to be found, the thirsty will begin to tap and to drill in the earth so that they can see all of a sudden a spring begin to bubble up out of the fountains of the earth. A thirsty person will go through any kind of way to find water, church. Those that hunger for God, they say, no, 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 I'm not satisfied. I know that he's somewhere around here. I'm going to find him. I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to begin to pray, and I'm going to begin to seek after him, and I'm going to begin to desire him, and I'm going to begin to call out on him, and I'm going to begin to just trust in him even more until I find him. That's what hunger and thirst will do. They will dig a well in a desert church. And it doesn't matter how deep it is, you will eventually find water. It doesn't matter how far or how great the famine of the word of the Lord seems. If you are hungry, my friend, if you are thirsty, you will find the water of the spirit of God. He will spring up a well that will never run dry. Can somebody say amen? Luke chapter 6 and verse 21 says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. It says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. There's a joy that's going to return to the church and to those who have been seeking after God. And some of you don't look very joyful right now. I'm just going to be honest. I see your all's faces. Some of you looking at me like, you know, I got bad breath or something. Maybe I do. I have no idea. I don't know if it got all the way over there. Smile just for a second. I want to see your face. Everybody smile at me. What does it say? Blessed are you who weep now for you're going to laugh. I don't know what you're going through right now, but God is able to completely change the trajectory of your life. If you would just trust in him, if you would just seek after him, if you would just desire him all the more. Hmm. I'll share one last story with you and then we'll wrap it up. In John 4, we find the story of the woman at the well. There's a lot of things I could mention about her story, but I want something I want us to focus on just for a minute is the difference between her and us. You see, she shouldn't have been talking to Jesus on that day. And she came to the well as he did because she had a natural thirst for water. She went to the well for water. But on that day, her encounter was meant to be more than just another trip to the well. It was an encounter with the wellspring of life, Jesus, the Son of God. And the difference, though, between her and us is you and I know of Jesus and his goodness. Amen? We know now of Jesus and his goodness. Amen? And she didn't. And so she had an excuse for a moment to not seek after the living water and only after natural water. And so we know Jesus. We've spoke of him. We spoke to him in our lives. And we, you and I may know of the goodness of the Lord, but here's the question of the hour. So then what is our excuse for not seeking to be filled by him? 
She had an excuse because she didn't know that he was the living water. You know that he is the living water. We know that he is the living water. In John 4, 10, it says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Some of you are in here tonight and you may have walked in here dry as a bone in your spirit. Dry as a bone in your heart, parched like a person that's been walking through a hot desert. Like a person that's been wandering, like a person that has been, you know, just going about their business and going about their life. And they're, they're, they're seeking after water. They desire for that thirst to be quenched. But there shouldn't be any excuse, church, why you do not seek him. There shouldn't be any excuse why you do not seek him tonight. Because if you're thirsty, your cup can get filled. If you're hungry after the Lord, then guess what? He can fill that longing in your life like nobody else can. And if you're a believer in Jesus, then I need to remind you tonight, you need to stop drinking from the world's well of sin. Amen. I said, if you are a believer in Jesus, we need to stop drinking from the world's well of sin and addiction and thinking that somehow it's going to satisfy you. It's not. It's not, church. We need to stop drinking from the world's well of anxiety and worry and doubt and thinking that somehow we'll enjoy the peace of God. I told you right now, you're not going to find anything righteous on the news. It's going to rob you of your peace. It's going to rob you of your joy. It's going to keep you in constant anxiousness and anxiety and worry saying, what's going to happen tomorrow? It's going to rob you of the peace that God gave your life. That he paid for you to receive in your life. We need to stop drinking from the world's well of passions and lust, lust and distractions and thinking that somehow they will satisfy the longing of your soul. Because every time, every time, church, you drink from the world's well, it's nothing but salt water. It's nothing but salt water. You could have an ocean of salt water in front of you to drink and your thirst will never be quenched. Your thirst will never be quenched because guess what that salt does? It dehydrates your body. And you could drink gallon after gallon. You could literally be in an ocean full of water, but you're drinking gallon after gallon of this cesspool of, of, of filth, this cesspool of sin. All these things that you are pouring into your life that you're drinking on a daily basis from social media to news to all these things. And you're drinking everything else that the world is providing for your life. But all of a sudden you're dehydrated and you're parched and you have no idea why. You have no idea why because it's salt water, my friend. Get out of the desert and come to the living water that only Jesus can provide for your life. Come to the living water that only Jesus can provide. For the Bible says that one day, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 16, it says, never again will they hunger. It says, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is a beautiful, beautiful promise of God. But until we get to that day, we have to seek him today. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.